the end of the Bible are three little books, 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, then Jude, then Revelation. 2nd John is what we have been preaching through on Sunday mornings. 2nd John has only one chapter. I believe it's one of five books in our Bible that only has one chapter. 2nd John, and I'd like us this morning just to read verse 12. 2nd John, verse number 12. We can read that together, reading that outline, uh, out loud, verse number 12. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for each one that's here. Help us. We've already learned much from this little epistle. And Lord, I pray, though it's 1,900 years old, that, Lord, the Bible never gets old. It's got something for us today, tomorrow, next week, next month. Help our ears to be open that we would hear from God. Fill me with your spirit. Direct each word that said we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, you know that uh, this book of Second John was written by the Apostle John. We know that that John, he wrote five books. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote First John, Second John, Third John. And he also wrote the book of Revelation. We know that John wrote all five of these books later in his life. Likely he was between 70 and 80 years of age. And 2 John, it's only one chapter long. It's only 13 verses long. And if you had to pick a theme for 2 John, it would be a warning against false teachers. And we have seen that as we look. The very first week, at, uh, we looked who the little letter was written to. It was written to a Christian lady. She's not mentioned. Her name is not mentioned. But this woman loved the Lord. She walked in the truth. And uh, John was writing to her. We can only guess, and as John was an older Christian, that he was traveling from church to church to church. And he was preaching in those churches. He met some believers and somewhere he met this woman. He was impressed by her and her Christian faith. And now he is writing to her, feeling he's a friend. And he's writing to her to give her a warning. The first week, we looked at who it was written to. Then the next three weeks, we looked at that woman's character. She uh, was, had a Christian walk. She had a love for the truth. She had a love for people. Then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the fact that John wrote her a warning. And really the warning was this. This woman was so kind and gracious to people, whether they were people in her church or whether they were complete strangers that knocked on her door. She was so kind that she opened her door to anyone that showed up, whether they came for a meal, whether they came to fellowship, whether they came for a night to stay, this woman was Mrs. Hospitality. And John noticed that she was so welcoming that she was actually even welcoming into her home those that taught false doctrine. In fact, look there in 2 John and verse number 7. John writes to her, For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. John said, lady, you love people so much that you'd understand that some of these that don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God are taking advantage of your hospitality. They are taking advantage of her kindness. He said they don't even believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. And he said that's how you're going to be able to tell them. In fact, look there now, if you verse number 10, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, if they come to you and don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, notice what John's advice End of verse 10, receive him not into your house. Now, folks, I'm not trying to be nasty. I'm not trying to be hateful. But there are groups of religious people that do knock on doors. They do not believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. I speak of JWs. I speak of Mormons. 
And uh, if you pin their ears to the wall and ask them, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God as no one else can be a Son of God? They'll say, no, I don't believe that. And uh, that's exactly who John was warning about, that kind of people. John says if they come to your door, you need to find out what they believe before you invite them into your house. And he said if you find that they deny that Jesus is Christ, the sent one from God, he said don't, don't receive them in your house. I said, preacher, I just like debating these cults. Then stay outside your door, talk to them till you and they are blue in the face, but don't let them into your house. You say, well, pastor, that is so unkind. I'm sure that this woman thought that same thing when she read what John wrote. John had a reason for what he wrote. He said, don't let them in your house. Don't bid them Godspeed. Say, pastor, what is that? God bless you. Have a great day. May the Lord bless you. No, no, John said, don't do that because these are enemies of Christ himself. Then last week, we looked at the ramifications of ignoring that warning. John talked about the fact that there are two things that will happen if you ignore that warning and receive them into your house anyway. Look at verse number 11. Verse number 11 is one of the ramifications for it. John says, For he that biddeth him, that's this false teacher, this false prophet, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Yes, you'll say, preacher, I just, I just have a hard time not being kind to everybody. I understand that because kindness and love is a virtue that the Spirit of God wants to put in each of us. But Paul, or sorry, John said to this woman, you be kind to somebody that's not bringing the right gospel. And God holds you as a partaker of the evil work that they're doing. Folks, you do not want that. You do not want God to associate you with that kind of a false teaching. So that's the first ramification. Second one we found, we found this last Sunday. Look there at verse number 8. Second John and verse 8, John said, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. That word wrought means work, work for. John said there's a second reason why you don't want to be welcoming to somebody that brings false doctrine. He said because it will jeopardize things that you have already worked for. Pastor, what is that? You know, in our Christian life, you can't work to get to heaven. You don't work to get saved. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. So if you are on your way to heaven, and I trust that you are, it's not because you lived a good life, you went to church, you did what was right, you stayed within the Spirit. It's not any of those works that gain us an entrance to heaven. It is by trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul said, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. So salvation is obtained not by anything that we have done. It's obtained by accepting what Jesus did in your place when he was nailed to the cross of Calvary. But after a person gets saved, from that point forward, we are to be busy for God. We are to be working for the Lord. Uh, keep your hand there in 2 John. Look, if you would, in Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter 2, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Uh, I just feel impressed to park on this for a minute. You say, well, Preacher, I hope to get to heaven. You don't have to just hope it. You can know. What are you counting on? Well, I just, you know what? I've been faithful to the church. I have, none of that will gain you entrance into heaven. Again, Ephesians 2, and I've already quoted this, verse number 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It, that's heaven, is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. So we don't work to get saved. We don't work to get to heaven. But look at the very next verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So if you're saved, what are you doing for God now? How are you busy for the Lord now? And you and I already know that in this period from Jesus' first coming until Jesus' second coming, God's work is always through a local church. What ministry are you doing for God? Now, you see, what's that got to do with Second John? John warned this woman, first of all, if you encourage, if you finance, if you ask God's blessing on those that are bringing false doctrine, first of all, God considers you a partaker of their evil deeds. You don't want that. But secondly, he said that you are risking the future eternal rewards that you have already gained, you have already wrought, you've already worked for, you are risking losing those eternal rewards by helping these that bring a false doctrine. It's pretty serious stuff. Say, Pastor, that was last week, and so last week we talked about the judgment seat of Christ and all that will happen Preacher, what are we looking at today? Today we're looking at verse 12. Look at it again if you would. Having many things to write unto you. So again, John's reason for writing 2 John was this warning. Don't be an encouragement to false teachers. John had so many more things that he wanted to write to this lady. Again, verse number 12. Having many things to write unto you. I would not write with paper and ink. But I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. Uh, he's saying, listen, uh, lady, <laughs> didn't give a name. There's so much more that I'd like to say. He said, I've written about this false teacher helping destructive thing. I've got so much more that I'd like to say to you. But I'm going to wait till I come back to your church, till I come face to face with meet you. I want to share these other things that I think will help you. Pastor, what are we looking at today? We're looking at the last six words of verse 12. Look at, look at verse 12 again. Last six words. The Bible says that our joy may be full. You know, we are going to chase that truth down. Do you know joy ought to be an evidence in your life that you're a Christian? There ought to be a joy about you that this world just doesn't understand. Because Christians go through heartaches and troubles and trials just like anybody. We're not exempt from trouble. Some people have this idea, I thought when I got saved all my troubles would be gone. That's far from the truth. All of us face troubles. All of us face trials. But God has a joy that he wants to bless your life and my life with that rises above all of those troubles. And so he says here in end verse number 12, he says that our joy may be full. Do you know we need to understand the importance of having a joyful attitude in our Christian life? And it's a Christian's duty to glorify God and with every choice that we make, every word that we say, every thought that we entertain, there ought to be a joy that's evident in our life. Joy is a result of thanksgiving to God for all He is and all He's done. Joy is not based on the circumstances of our life. And uh, someone wrote, joy, and I saw another variation, love, but joy is a flag that ought to fly high in your heart because the king is the president there. Who is the king? Jesus Christ. Do you know when Jesus is not only resident, but when Jesus is president, there ought to be a joy that's overflowing in your life. And if you look at the last six words of verse 12, God is not only interested in you being saved, he's interested in you showing joy, but not just joy full of joy. I wonder, has anyone ever accused you that? 
You're always so joyous. <laughs> Say, Pastor, never. Well, it ought to be. Your life and my life, now that we're saved, ought to be one that is full of joy. Do you know that phrase is found seven times in the New Testament? Jesus said, you as a Christian ought to be full of joy. John wrote that, that we ought to be full of joy. Peter wrote that, that we ought to be full of joy. I know that this world would tell us that real joy hinges on possessing things. So the world would say, if you have a nice house, a big house, a nice car, two, three, four cars, a motorcycle, a camper, a boat, if you've got a cottage somewhere, if you've got money in the bank, if you've got investments put aside, this world would try to tell you, now you have reason for real joy. But you know, real joy, according to the scriptures, is not hinged upon the things that we possess. I said to you that this statement, uh, joy, uh, full of joy, that statement is found seven times in the New Testament. Every one of those times, it has nothing to do with the circumstances of a person's life. It has to do with his relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes this morning, I know many do, my title is Keys to Enjoying the Fullness of Joy. Keys to Enjoying the Fullness of Joy. You say, Preacher, why keys? You know, if you walk into this building, a key would get you into the front door. But that key that would get you into the lobby, into the hallways, that key wouldn't get you into every room of this church. You'd have to have another key to get in that room, a different key to get in that room, another key to get in that room. Do you know when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, what you did is you invited Jesus Christ into your heart. And to the extent that you give him more keys of your life. He can fill those rooms with joy. You won't find a happier Christian than the one that has surrendered all the keys to all the rooms of their life. And so we're going to look at those keys. You say, Pastor, you said seven, so I guess that means a seven-point message. No, you can relax. We don't have that many. Again, keys to enjoying the fullness of joy. Would you look at the first one, Acts chapter number 2. You can let go of Second John. We will get that later. But Acts chapter number 2. Pastor, I am saved. But quite honestly, I would not describe myself as full of joy. Certainly a lost person couldn't describe themselves by God's standard as being full of joy. Preacher, how can I be full? full of joy. What must I do to accomplish that? Look there in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 28. Acts chapter 2 and verse 28. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Something in this text is a key to getting that kind of joy. Pastor, what's going on in Acts 2? I think that many of us would be familiar with Acts 2. Acts 2 was an important Jewish holy day. Acts 2 is called the day of Pentecost. And there were three special holy days in a Jewish calendar. We find this recorded in Deuteronomy 16. That every Jew, no matter where he lived, had to make the trip to Jerusalem to worship God for a particular reason. This was one of those reasons. It was the day of Pentecost. In fact, look there in Acts 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So Jews from far and wide gathered here in the city of Jerusalem to commemorate the day of Pentecost. As you continue to read through Acts chapter 2, the 12 disciples, 12 apostles, now the 12th was Matthias, the 12 apostles are also in that city. And they get nudged by the Spirit of God that this is a great opportunity to preach to these Jews the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Peter steps out on one of the streets of Jerusalem, and from whatever his vantage point was, 
Peter began to preach and to tell them the gospel. What he said was, many of you same Jews. Now remember, those Jewish men three times a year had to come to Jerusalem. The previous time was the Passover. The Passover was the very weekend where, or week where Jesus had been nailed to the cross. So here, Peter, now 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, begins to preach to these people in the streets. And he said, you are the very people that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. You are guilty of having the Son of God nailed to that cross. What a message. <laughs> it wasn't kind of a smile and a poem at all. It was a very difficult message. Look there in Acts 2 and verse 22. Here Peter is preaching, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He's putting it on him. He said, you are the very people that 50 days ago on that Passover week, you are the ones that cried out to Pilate and said, crucify him, crucify him. In spite of the fact that Pilate three times said, I find no fault in him in Christ. And he said, you were the, one, the ones that had him crucified. Peter said he was buried. But he didn't stay buried. Look at verse 24, Acts 2, verse 24. Whom God hath raised, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So he said, in spite of the fact that you called out for Christ to be crucified, Peter continues, but God raised him up, and the Lord is now sitting on the right hand of God. Look there in verse 32. Acts 2, 32, Peter continues, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. So he's saying, he's up in heaven, but look there, if you would, in uh, verse number 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. No, stop there. Let me make sense of that. Peter is preaching to this crowd, you had Jesus crucified. And he said, he was buried. Three days later, God raised him from the dead, and Jesus is now at the right hand of God in heaven. But God the Father has now said God, to God the Son, you wait right here until you make your enemies your footstool. Well, folks, you and I, when we sit down in a chair, we make a footstool out of some other piece of furniture. We don't put our feet on a person. We don't do that. That's just not good ethics. It's not good manners. But Peter said, one day Jesus is going to come down and he's going to make his enemies his footstool. Do you know those people got thinking about that? They got thinking of the fact that that means one day God is going to judge us for what we have done. And they were rocked to their socks, if you would, about that message, recognizing that they were under the judgment of God. And that's why they asked this question. Keep reading there, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 37. Now when they, that's this Jewish group in Jerusalem, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? When they recognized that they were under the judgment of God, they said to Peter, what do we do? Look at Peter's answer, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent. That was the very first thing. He said, you need to come to God recognizing that you're a sinner. He's a savior. And you need to repent. Folks, we don't use that word repent as often maybe as we should. 
We talk to people about the fact that they too are under the judgment of God. Because of our sin before God, we have to be judged. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And that's why when a person recognizes their lost condition before God, they want to know, what can we do? The answer is to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the gospel. Do you know of the thousands that were in Jerusalem on this day of Pentecost, there were thousands that day that trusted Christ. Look there, if you would, in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word, they did. They trusted Christ as their Savior. And they didn't just stop there, but they followed in the next step of getting baptized, the next step of getting into a Bible-believing church, and they continued with that. Do you know, in the context of all of that, these 3,000, in fact, just so you know, we're not making up that number. Uh, look there, if you would, in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Imagine 3,000 people that day trusted Christ as their Savior. In the context of all of that, back up to verse 28. For we started with this point, Acts chapter 2 and verse 28. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Couldn't every one of us today who's saved make that statement? Couldn't every one of us today say, Lord, thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Lord, you revealed to me the way that I could get to heaven and as a consequence of me knowing that I'm now on my way to heaven, not maybe, not hope. So look at the end of verse 28. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. One day I will look at the Lord face to face in that place called heaven. What joy that brings in my heart. Could I say this if you take notes? We're looking this morning at keys to enjoying the fullness of joy and the first key is knowing confidently of your home in heaven. Knowing confidently of your home in heaven. How many people do we talk to? And certainly when we talk to folks, we invite them to come to church. We'd be thrilled if they do, but not all people are looking for a church to go to. How many times after we invite them to church, we say, listen, before I leave you, could I ask you a question? Sure, what's that? If you were to die today, are you absolutely sure that you'd go to heaven? Are you confident of that? And there's a lot of people that answer that question. I don't think that anybody can be sure. Do you know that you can? The Bible says in 1 John chapter number, uh, 1 John 5.13, sorry. John wrote, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. For many of us, if someone said to us, if you died today, where would you? We'd say to heaven. Why? Because we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Do you know that was the first key to being full of joy? No matter what happens in your life, whether your life is exploding or imploding, Regardless of the circumstances of your life, if you know that you know that when you die that you're going to heaven, that is a key to being full of joy. Uh, I think we sang that song this morning, I have found the pleasure I once craved, it is joy and peace within. What a wondrous blessing I am saved from the awful gulf of sin. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. All oh, the half has never yet been told. It's a great thing.
to know that you know that when you die, you're going to heaven. If you're counting on anything else but Jesus Christ and the payment he made, you don't know that. You're counting on your church. You have to keep going then to church. If you ever give up, you lost it. If you're counting on living a good life and continuing, you have to continue that, and then you're still not sure. Paul wrote this, I know whom I have believed. Not what, but whom? Jesus. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Great truth. You know, there was a man born back in 1915, Minneapolis, Minnesota. His name was J.D. Carlson. No relation. When he got older, his occupation was conducting a dance orchestra. And so with his gift and his ability, he was able to produce music that caused people to sway, caused people to tap their toes. And as much as he, with his music, was bringing joy to people, he said, I had no joy there. Someone one day came to him and witnessed to him and told him about Jesus Christ, gave him the precious gospel of Christ. And that man received Christ as a Savior. And you know, shortly after he got saved, I think that many of us would recognize the little chorus. He wrote this little chorus, and I won't sing it. I won't do that to you. But if you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Your sins he'll wash away. Your night he'll turn to day. Your life he'll make over anew. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. I say the very first key to having fullness of joy is knowing confidently of your home in heaven. I give you a second thing. Look there if you would in 1 John. 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter number 1. All kinds of songs came to my mind as I was preparing these thoughts. There's joy when you get saved. There is abundant joy. You ask me why I'm happy. So I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone, do you have that kind of joy? Say, preacher, I don't. I, I don't know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Jesus paid it all. All to him you owe. Though sin has left a crimson stain, he can wash it white as snow. What joy it will bring. I give you a second thing. Look there in 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 4. 1 John chapter number 1, look at verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. There's those words again. So now we're looking at a second passage that is a key how to be full of joy. Pastor, what is John talking about here when he speaks of this full of joy? What's he talking about? Well, back up there to verse number 1. John, of course, John the Apostle that which was from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus Christ. That's where he's going here. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon. Our hands have handled the word of life. Notice that word capitalized. That's Jesus Christ. John here in, I suppose, 90 A.D. John is remembering back some 60 years when he was one of the apostles 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. John, for some three and a half years, walked with Christ and talked with Christ. Christ was physically there, and John was physically there to see him. That's what he's talking about in verse 1. Look at it again. He says, That which, and that's a reference to Jesus Christ, was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen. He said, I've seen Jesus with my eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. Keep reading verse 2. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifest, uh, manifest unto us. I, I, I'm trying not to get ahead, but John is saying, listen, you folks weren't around Christ 
like I was around Christ 60 years ago. He said, you didn't get to walk with him like I You didn't get to talk with him like I did. You didn't get to touch him. You didn't get to look upon him. You didn't get to hear the preciousness of his words. He said, that close fellowship, boy, that was precious. Sometimes people are said, if you could do anything, what would you do? And the answers are as different as people. Wouldn't it have been neat, neat doesn't sound right, but wouldn't it have been neat to be there in the days of Christ, watch him, listen to him, touch him. That's what John's talking about in verse 1 and 2. He's talking about how good the fellowship was. It was so close. But I want you to know as we look there in verse 1 and 2, all of it is past tense. Now we're getting somewhere, so look at it. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, past tense, which we have seen with our eyes, past tense, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Everything in verse 1 is past tense. He, he's talking about how good it was. Pick it up in verse number 2. He says, for the life was manifested and we have seen it, past tense, and bear witness. That's what first present tense. He said, that's why I'm telling you, I'm bearing witness of what I saw. Keep going. Verse 2 says, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested again, past tense, unto us. Verse 3, that which we have seen, past tense, and heard, past tense, declare we unto you, that's what we're trying to relate to you, how good it was, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is. Now, this is, this is so persnickety. But you know what? John said it was so good 60 years ago to have that close fellowship with God, with Jesus. But you know, he said it can be good now. You can have that same kind of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ now that I did 60 years ago. And on the heels of saying that you and I can have close fellowship with Christ, now look at verse 4. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. If you're writing notes down, here's the second one. Second key to fullness of joy is enjoying close fellowship with him. You say, preacher, I'm saved. What more is it that you want? It's not what I want, it's what God wants. You know, when the Lord saved your soul, that day you asked him to save you. That wasn't the end of the Lord's plan for your life. That was but the beginning. And he wants to walk with you, and he wants to talk with you, and he wants to hear from you. And if you and I had close fellowship with Jesus Christ, just as John 60 years earlier had close fellowship with Jesus Christ, John says there in 1 John 1, 4, that's a second key to being full of joy. I wonder how often you turn off your life, turn off the radio and the stereo and the iPod and the TV and the internet, and just spend time alone with Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I'm, I'm way too busy. I have more to do than I have time to do it. That's the second key to being full of joy. Do you know, fellowship is two ways. It's talking to and then listening as you are talking. It's two ways. Ever tried to establish a friendship with somebody that never talks? I'm sure somebody comes to mind. Do you know, as a pastor, part of my ministry responsibility is to talk. I'm sure glad it's not just talk. <laughs> I'm sure glad it's sometimes I can stop talking and listening. And listen. But you ever tried to establish a fellowship, a friendship with somebody that never talks? 
Oh, it just gets weary after a while. How are you doing? Fine. How was your week? Fine. Keep busy? Yeah. <laughs> after a while, you just get tired. That's not what you call fellowship. That's one way. And after a while, you just kind of turn around, walk, turn on your heels and go find somebody else. Because just doing all the talking isn't close fellowship. The flip side of that is, have you ever tried to establish a friendship with somebody who they do all the talking? Well, I, I could tell more, more people's faces came to mind and all that. You know, there's some people when you sit down, you don't have to say a word because they say it all. And this time you're not tired of thinking what to say. This time you're, you're just plain tired of listening. <laughs> and after all, of course, if, if, listen, if somebody's talking constantly, they're probably talking about themselves and how great they are. And, and that's wearisome. Do you know what? The Lord is interested in you having close fellowship. And if you have that kind of close fellowship, that's the second key to being full of joy. Your life can be falling apart. But if you started your day talking to God, that's prayer. Letting God talk to you, that's reading his word. Boy, there is a joy. There is a joy that takes place in a heart that makes a priority about that. We think of that hymn in the garden, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Listen to this. And the joy we share. Did you spend some time talking to God this morning? Listening from God this morning? I give you a third thing. Look there and the Gospel of John. So you can let go of the Epistle of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. Gospel of John, chapter number 15. Pastor, what are the keys to enjoying the fullness of joy? Well, first of all, knowing confidently of your home in heaven. To know that you're going to heaven without a doubt, that is a source of great joy. Secondly, enjoying a close fellowship with him. There's a third thing, John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15, if you would look there in verse number 11. John 15 and verse number 11. The Bible says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. There's our words again. Joy be full. Something in this text is yet a third key on how to be full of joy. Pastor, what's this text all about? Well, there is a word that shows up five times right around verse number 11. See, uh, let's see if we can get it. Look there in verse number 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments. Look there in verse number 12. This is my commandment. Look there in verse number 14. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And then look at verse 17. These things I command you that ye love one another. You know, if you would write this down, the third key to fullness of joy is by continuing to obey his commandments. By continuing to obey his commandments. You know, in this passage, and, and a lot of folks, sad to say, a lot of Christians, they preach, I thought all that commandment stuff is Old Testament. I mean, we know the Ten Commandments, and someone has counted up a total of 613 laws that those Jews had. Pastor, I thought all that commandment stuff was in the Old Testament, and since we're now post-Calvary in the New Testament, I didn't think we had any commandments that we had to follow anymore, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, there are still guidelines that God gives a Christian to follow. There are still commandments that God has a Christian to obey. And what he says here by mentioning this verse number 10, if you keep my commandments, 
Then he said at the end of that verse that as I have kept my father's commandments, verse 12, this is my commandment. And verse 14, if you do whatsoever I command you, verse 17, these things I command you, listen, nothing could be further from the truth. I know that we're in a generation now that wants to do what they want to do. They don't want anyone to tell them what to do. Thank you very much. Not interested. <laughs> there, there's just this kind of freewheeling, I'm going to be my own man kind of thing. You know, that's not what the Lord is looking for in a Christian. The Lord is looking for that Christian to say, okay, Lord, now that I'm saved, what's next? I'll do it. The Lord says to that kind of a person that obeys God's commandments. God is going to bless them by being full of joy. Many of us have children. Few have little children. Do you know children that are obedient are happy children? Children that are disobedient are miserable children. And you say, oh, Pastor, I, I hadn't noticed that. Then you mustn't have children. You know, children that are always looking for a way to get around it, that liberty that they're so anxious to find hasn't brought them any joy. It's anarchy that's in their heart. And just as much as that's true for children, that's true for children of God. And you know, as a Christian, Lord, I'm not going to do that. God, I won't do that. Well, there's going to be something lacking in the joy department. I say to you, the third key is by continuing to obey his commandments. Pastor, I, I didn't think we had any commandments. We're, we're, we're New Testament 175 times in the New Testament it has the word command. 100 of those times we find it after Calvary. Acts 1, 2, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles. Acts chapter 10, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, Now we command you, brethren. 1 John 2 and verse 3, And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John 3, 23, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. We sing the song, Trust and Obey. Well, to obey means somebody is given an order. <laughs> And that song that we sing, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Notice happy. It comes by obedience, but to trust and obey. I give you the last thing. I'm done with this. Look back there where we started, 2 John chapter 1. 2 John chapter number 1, preacher, you've talked about the keys to enjoying the fullness of joy. What are those keys? First one is knowing confidently of your home in heaven. Second key to having fullness of joy is enjoying a close fellowship with him. Third is by continuing to obey his commandments. You say, well, where did we ever start on this? We started in 2 John verse 12. Look at it. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. We've already commented on the fact that John wrote this little letter to this unnamed Christian lady. He, he commended her for faith. He commended her for a walk. He, he commended her for her love. 
And John gives her this warning from verse 7 to 11 about not helping false teachers, false prophets. Again, as I've said, John had so much more he wanted to help her with. But he said, I won't write anymore. He said, instead, I'm going to wait until we are face to face. He said, I'm going to wait till my preaching travels brings me back to your church where I can be in your congregation, where you and I can catch up on what's happened since the last time we met. And he said, as you and I talk together, as we fellowship together, as we look at each other face to face, look what he said the result of that in verse number 12. Uh, verse number 12, he said, that our joy may be full. Could I give you the last thing? Would you write this down? The fourth key to fullness of joy is by congregating with God's people. John could have written more. John could have written an epistle that was 12 chapters long. But John said, you know, I, I've given you what I think was urgent, and that's why I wrote it down and mailed it quick. But he there said, there's so much more that I could help you with. But instead of me putting it down with pen and ink, he said, I want you and I as believers to get face to face, to talk to each other, to fellowship with each other. Because when we do that, our joy can be full. I trust it's true that when you wake up Sunday morning that you anticipate another opportunity again to get together with God's people. Yes, sing the songs about the Lord, of course. Yes, open up the word of God and learn more of him, of course. But folks, there is an added blessing and an added joy that takes place in a believer's life. When he gets together with other Christians, there's just something about getting together with other Christians that brings a joy that cannot be accomplished any other way. Haven't we seen in these last two and a half years, three years, because of the mandates and restrictions that were even placed upon churches, where people weren't allowed to go to church, people were restricted from church, there was a limit of how many people could be in church. Didn't we watch the damage that that did to so many Christians? It didn't take their, didn't take their salvation. They're still on their way to heaven. Of course they are. But how many were faithful to the things of God before and all of those restrictions and mandates that were imposed, folks, it damaged some people. It damaged some Christians. I, I, I often preach at other places and off the questions, how's your church doing? It's great. God's blessing. And they said, what happened during COVID? I said, you know, seven of our seniors passed away. I said, they got sick and God took them home. And, and the response is, that's terrible. It's not really. They're in heaven. That's better. But I said, besides seven seniors, God taking home to heaven. I said, we had some families who, because of all of the limitations of not being able on a regular basis to get together with other Christians, We've had some people that never recovered from that. Folks, if someone leaves our church and goes to another church and is faithful, God bless them for it. But you know it's true that some, they got out and they never got back in again. And it tells itself in their joy. It's not the same joy. And that's why John said to this lady, I, I've written what I felt was most urgent to tell you. He said, I've got so much more that I think that God would like to use me to help you with. But I want to do it face to face. Folks, I, I know that you can watch our services on the Internet. I know it's a week delayed, but 
I know that you can watch our services on internet, but it's not the same. If you have been to our camp meetings before, you know that in the midst of God's people that have gathered together, God has done some supernatural things. And you just can't record that by a video camera. Haven't all of us read, maybe not all, haven't some of us read autobiographies and biographies of great Christians? And as we read those pages, our, 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 our heart gets excited about, wow, I can guarantee the people that were in that day that were right there, the wow was so much realer and so much better. Don't let this world convince you that you can be as fruitful of a Christian without gathering with other Christians. You say, preacher, would I lose my salvation? You can't lose it. You're secure in Christ. I know a new Christian, a new convert one time asked the one that was discipling him, will I still be a Christian if I don't attend church? And he said, not attending church won't change your destination. You'll still go to heaven. But it might change your estimation. You'd be like a student that has no school to go to. A soldier without an army to fight beside. A citizen without a country a salesman with no customers, an explorer with no base camp, a seaman on a ship without a crew, a fishing line without a hook, an author without any readers, a tuba player without an orchestra, a parent without any children, a quarterback without a single player to throw the ball to. I say to you finally, the fourth key to fullness of joy is by congregating with God's people. Do you know one day there was a cookout? Family of the church invited others from the church over to a home and they were going to have a cookout. Only problem is the man of that home had kind of stopped attending church and they invited the pastor and his wife. So the pastor thought, well, I guess I need to talk to him. <laughs> so this man that stopped coming to church, he, he's doing hamburgers on the barbecue. And it, it wasn't one of these gas barbecues, it was like one of these pits and had a bit of a grill. And, and a pastor walks up and he said, Brother, I, boy, we're sure, super thankful that you've invited us to come. But he said, you know I'm going to ask you this. We've missed you. We've missed you at church. And he said, well, you know what? I don't, I don't really think I need church. A lot of folks think that. He said, I don't really, and this pastor is just praying under his breath, Lord, help me. And this pastor, while this man is going through all the reasons why he doesn't think he needs to be a church, this pastor looks at these coals, it's a coal fire, and he notices how white hot these coals are. So he takes a bit of a stick and he pushes one of the coals off to the side And he keeps listening to this man give all the reasons why he can be just as good of a Christian and not go to church at all. And after this man goes on and on, you know what? When you have to go on and on and on, you're trying to convince yourself. Is that fair? (laughs) And after this man has gone on and on and on, this pastor did this. He reached down with his hand and he picked up that coal that sometime back he pushed aside. And he said, do you realize that that would have been impossible for me to do just a short time ago? But he said, because it's been separated from all the rest of those hot coals, it's lost its heat. It's lost its effectiveness. And this no longer would be successful at cooking the burgers. And he said, that's what happens to many a Christian Yes, they can read their Bible at home. Yes, they can pray at home. But somehow distancing yourself from other of God's people, you lose that fire. You lose that joy. 
And you lose that effectiveness. And I just think, and he took that coal and put it back inside that fire. And they both looked at, as that coal, something started happening to it. You know what John is saying to this lady? I've got so much more I could tell you. But it would be better for me to tell you face to face. May I say to you that there is a joy when you spend time with God's people. I wonder, is your life full of joy? Not just joy. Is it full of joy?